Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached Word of God in agreement to the Scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Amen. Let's stand and we're just going to pray tonight over the Word of the Lord and, and uh, we're going to continue in the last few Wednesday nights we've been talking about prayer and I hope that we're not just driving this in the ground and breaking it off, but I hope we are perhaps maybe planting something in all of our hearts and lives. Amen. And so let's just pray and ask the Lord to help us this evening as we consider a little bit more of God's Word. I love you today, and I thank you, Lord, for the privilege that you have given each and every one of us to be right here in this house tonight. This is not an opportunity that we are taking for granted, and for many tonight, this is not something that has come easy but they've had to be very, very intentional about being here in this house today. They've had to forego other things, God, to be in this moment, this house of worship at this hour. So I pray, God, that you'll honor the effort that's been put forth, and I know that you'll honor your word. Give us strength tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And you may be seated. As we continue our study on the subject of prayer uh, you, you know, when you're talking about prayer, that's such a huge subject, inexhaustible almost. It's like talking about love. I mean, where, where do you start and where do you stop? And so, uh, but I want to, uh, to talk about two biblical examples of prayer, two more biblical examples of prayer. And uh, they're two different situations, two different outcomes. Uh, but nevertheless, we can find ourselves here, I'm sure. Sometimes we refer to this as times that in our lives when we pray and God says yes, and other times when we pray and God says no. I'm not quite sure that it's that cut and dry, but I think that we do understand those general terms. The first instance that I want to visit this evening is found in the New Testament. It's a pretty familiar story to most, but I want us to begin reading in 2 Corinthians 12 and we're going to read verses 7, 8, and 9. Paul said, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. And then Paul says in verse number 8, in reference, direct reference to verse number 7, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, or three times that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I want to talk about again what happens when we pray. When, when we pray, <clears throat> there, there's not really anything that that we can sense sometimes that has really happened. And so um, we just because we knelt in prayer or stood in prayer, whatever our posture of prayer may be, just because we uttered a few words 
sometimes we're not so sure that, it, that anything really happened. It's not like flipping a switch in a dark room and all of a sudden the lights come on and we have that aha moment. So that's what this switch does. So that's what happens when we do this. And so sometimes that's not altogether how that unfolds in our lives. <clears throat> and so in, in this story of 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says, he's, Paul speaks about uh, the things that were going on in his life spiritually, about the revelations that God had given him. And we know, of course, uh, the end of Paul's life, or we know the sum total, I suppose we should say, of Paul's life and the contribution that he made to the New Testament church. And so he said that there was something that was given me because of the abundance of revelations. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. He referred to it as a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Now, the subject tonight that I'm dealing with is not necessarily what Paul's thorn in the flesh was, although that has been a question in the minds of the hearts of men and women far and wide. There is not uh, a conclusive answer to that. I think it could be many things. I've heard a lot of, uh, a lot of different theories on that through the years. I think that um, this is not what I'm saying it is. I think it's very possible that one of the things that Paul could have been dealing with as a thorn in the flesh was the, was the spirit of guilt. Because you have to understand that many people died, many innocent people died at the hands of the Apostle Paul. And so now he, is, he has been, it would be like if somebody come here and just killed half of the membership of this church and then three Sundays later wanted to come join the church. I would think they'd have wide open seating choices. <laughs> I think as Paul was sitting over here, I think most everybody else would be over here. And so he had a lot, of, he had a lot to deal with and reckon with in his own mind. And, and, uh, and so Paul said this, this thing, this, this was a, a, a consistent gnawing and tormenting him in his spirit, buffeting him, the scripture says. So he said, I sought the Lord three times about this. And then... Apparently, what we would say, God said no or did not answer uh, to some degree. There may be truth to that, but I, I want to just give you something else to think about that along this line. Every child of God, I believe, knows the absolute satisfaction of an answered prayer. I think especially to a predominantly adult congregation tonight that, that we could... Think about things that we know were a direct result of prayer. We prayed about something and, and God opened the door, closed the door, whatever it may have been. But we understand the satisfaction of God answering a prayer. And we rejoice in that. Regardless of how long you have been or may not have been serving the Lord, I think we could all boast of the fact that God has at least answered one prayer in our lives. By the same token, if you serve the Lord any length of time at all, you've also experience no doubt the frustration of an unanswered prayer <laughs> and that may have been frustration for a day a week or a month but I believe that I'm speaking to people that could have been frustrated by unanswered prayers for years and even decades that it just seemed like those petitions that we have brought before the Lord uh, have just fallen on deaf ears we open our Bibles and it would be very difficult not to not to do so when we read scriptures like Jeremiah 33 and 3, where Jeremiah records this, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou 
knowest not. He said, you just call on me and I'll answer you. And yet there have been times in our life we felt like we called on the Lord and he didn't answer. Isn't that right? Amen. Ephesians 3 and 20, we read passages like this. Thou unto him who is able, that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. I mean, we, we read those scriptures and we gravitate to that immediately and we try to pull that into the fabric of who we are as men and women of God and we want to stand on that word. I've, I've said this, I've used this phrase, I claim that. Amen, I receive that. I want to pull that into the fabric of who I am. However, there have been times that that when it was all said and done, that our prayers were seemingly unanswered and the need in our life was seemingly still apparent. When the dust is all settled, when it's all concluded at the end of the day, the need that we have or the need that we had is still very much alive in our lives. So now there's room for question, certainly. I've, I've, I've talked to dozens and dozens of people who said, I know we're not supposed to question God, but we all have a question for God. We have many questions for God. I think questions asked in the right spirit are completely in order. I'm his child. <laughs> he called me his son, and I, I think I could approach my dad in the right spirit about anything and discuss anything with God. Amen, I certainly could with my earthly father and I believe in the right spirit, I can speak about anything to my heavenly father. David said we're fearfully and wonderfully made and so God understands the question before we even put it into sentence form. He certainly understands that. He knows the thought and the intent of our heart, certainly he does. And so we now have room for questions. How can this be? Or you know, did, did God somehow retract a promise? I thought this was mine. In our text, Paul admits that the uncertainty of an unanswered prayer sort of vexed his life and his, his soul. Three times, Paul asked God to remove the thorn in his flesh, and three times, God did not answer him, or he did not answer him at least in the fashion that Paul was looking for the answer. Because Paul was praying for deliverance, so he was only looking in the deliverance box. And so every day when he lifts the lid <laughs> and deliverance is not there, he closes the lid and said, well, God didn't come through one more time because that was the only box he was looking in. And so a reality that we cannot escape is the fact that sometimes, even though God doesn't move in the fashion that we think is best, we know that God does answer our prayer. He doesn't answer it the way we think he ought to answer it. And I can say from experience after the fact, that there have been times I was very thankful that God didn't answer my prayer. Amen. When you think about the possible outcome of some situations that I thought I had the answer to, I thought, you know, if we just did this, this, and this, it would all work. But I was missing a huge slice of the pie, and I didn't realize that at the time. And then later on, just a few more days, weeks, months, or even years roll down the road, and you realize, wow, I am very, very, very thankful that God didn't uh, acquiesce to, that, to my request. I'm glad that he just kind of ignored that. Just think about the outcome of your life. If God 
were to just instantly do whatever you ask him to do. Think about it. I don't want to sound disrespectful or speak out of turn, but just, just say, for, an, for example, for just a day that God really was that genie in the bottle. And we could just say, I wish, boom, and it would be done. Amen. We would find ourselves led and directed by the whims of our own passions and our own desires. And, and our own passions and our own desires are very, um, they're very fickle. <laughs> I mean, there, there are some days that I can, uh, that, just some days out of the clear blue, I just get to thinking about pizza and I just start wanting pizza. Now, I'm not trying to sling nothing off on you here. Say, stay in church with me. <laughs> and I just get to thinking about it and, and, and I, I just... I, that's just what I, I got to have. I just, no matter where, I mean, whether it comes from the Pizza Hut or the Petro in town or down across the Dixie County line, wherever it may come. I, I, I probably should have been way more specific about that last comment, but whatever, Stephen's store down there, whatever. <laughs> For you, all of you out there in WWW land, I just wanted to clear that up. <clears throat> we weren't just going anywhere for pizza. And then, and then the, the another day you can just think about pizza. And oh, that's oh, no, that's not what I want. That's not what I want. And so our passions are very fickle, and you can't put a lot of stock in that. And so I'm very thankful that God doesn't just hear and answer prayer because I thought something or I, or I uttered something. I'm I'm thankful for that. So just like a, a natural father, loving and kind will do to us, and my father did, and I suppose that it would be true in all of our lives that from time to time our father said no. It may have bruised our ego or even hurt our feelings to agree, but to a degree, but certainly sometimes the right answer is no, and, and so sometimes the Lord does say no. Some people we expect <clears throat> that God just would not answer. Now, I, I, I want to... I, I tread out here pretty cautiously because ironically enough, just a couple of weeks ago, my wife and I were discussing this situation. It's probably a, almost a 30-year-old scenario. But I remember uh, one night, John 9 and 31, uh, the pastor took somewhere in the course of this, uh, read John 9 and 31, and, and the end result of that was a bunch of infighting in the church split. So I... <laughs> How brave are you feeling tonight? So everybody keep a good spirit. Let's just talk about John 9 and 31. Everybody say, I'm not going anywhere. All right. John 9, John 9 31, the Bible says, Now we know that God heareth not sinners. But if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. A lot of people want to argue about that, and uh, that can be appear to be a very controversial scripture for some, so I want you to hear me out before you draw any conclusions. Psalms, the psalmist David said in Psalms 37, 4 and 5, that a man, if a man delights himself in the Lord, he must delight himself in the Lord in order to receive the desires of his heart. And so... I want to delight myself in the Lord. I want my heart to be right and my passions to be right. I want my life to be positioned in such a way that God can bless my life. Amen. I want to live a life that can be blessed. And I think that would be the, the desire of most anybody, anybody here. 
And so if we ask anything according to his will, the scripture says he heareth us, but the desire of the wicked is contrary to the will of God. Amen. So let's, let's think about that again. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, but the desires of the wicked is contrary to the word of God. Now I'm certainly not suggesting that a sinner cannot pray a prayer that can be heard of God because certainly if a man or a woman turns their heart toward God, a broken and a contrite spirit, he's not going to in any wise turn away. Not at all. Proverbs 28 and 9, the Bible says, He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be an abomination. Now think about that. Solomon calls the prayers of a lawless person detestable. And so we've got to have the right spirit when we come before the Lord in prayer. It makes sense to us that there are people in the world that God would not grant them the desires of their heart. Let me just pause and tell you, you don't want God to grant the desires of everybody's heart in this world. There's some evil and wicked people, some very sinister and very perverted people. And so uh, we, we want to make sure that their motives are right. We shouldn't think that God's going to grant their every request or their every need is my point. And so God is looking to the heart. And as I mentioned a moment ago, he's a discerner of the thought and the intent of our heart. So there's nothing hidden to God when I pray. And if I'm praying about God blessing my life or, or whatever it may be, God knows the intent of my heart. He knows why I'm praying that prayer. If I'm just trying to pray that prayer and make it all about me to lift me to another level of whatever, God knows that. And so we should, underst- we should at least understand that. But here we have in our illustration, and pardon me for meandering a little bit, but here we have in our illustration, Paul, a righteous man. This is not a wicked man that Solomon referred to or that David referred to, but here is Paul, the apostle, that was a righteous man. And so why wouldn't God answer the prayer of a righteous man? We understand, I think at a base level, that God understands and he knows what's best for all of us in any situation. He knows the answer even when it doesn't make sense to us. Therefore, sometimes God says no even to righteous people. God says no. God says no. James 4 and 3 says this, You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lust. Another translation says that same scripture this way, you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. James also teaches us that some people's prayers are not answered because they're a wavering person. Amen. They're they're unstable. James 1, 6, and 7, let him ask, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. Verse 7, for let not that man think he shall receive anything from the Lord. You know, the Bible talks about not meddling with people that are given to change. Some people are running after this today and they're running after this the next day. And a week later they're chasing after something else. Amen. You ever met those people that... They'd invite you to get in on the ground level of the next best thing. <laughs> Just hold your peace because in a few months they'll be on the ground level of something else. For the most part, that just seems to be the makeup of people that are chasing uh, those sorts of things in life. And so we, we, must, we must be consistent in our prayer. And I believe that God honors consistency. I, I really believe that with all of my heart. 
that God honor, honors that. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in just a moment. And so we've got to be careful. He said, let not that man think that he shall receive anything from the Lord. Pride can also get in the way of, of, of answered prayers. We've got to be very careful that our spirit is right. Yeah. Amen. God monitors the spirit. I've said this often to, to men. I've said it in mixed company, but I've said it many times in men's meetings that, that you can't treat your wife just any old way and then kneel down and pray. That's not how it works. God said you're going to have to honor your wife so that our prayers can be honored. And so we can't talk about mole lady, mole battle axe, and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and then get up and lift up holy hands. And so even if you don't say it with your lips, God can read your mind. Amen. Well, I feel a meddling spirit. I'm going to let that go. Job 35 and 12 the Bible says, there they cry, but none giveth answer because of the pride of evil men. Surely, verse 13, surely God will not hear vanity, neither will the Almighty regard it. So if we're just up here doing all this, God doesn't even regard that prayer. He, that means nothing to God because he knows again the thought and the intent of our heart. Amen. So Job really gives us something to consider in that passage. I, I, I believe that. In the Gospels, Jesus told the story about a prideful, self-righteous person who prayed a prayer that went unanswered. Listen to this, Luke 18 and 11. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. And you know, I, I don't want to be try to be comedic here, but I can never read this passage of Scripture even when I'm just reading it to myself Alone, when I, I'm just all by myself reading to myself, I can never just read this passage of Scripture and just read it in my own voice, even in my head. <laughs> I know some of you are just dying for an example here. It's not happening. But I just picture him in this, you know, this just stoic, self-righteous voice. God, I thank thee. I mean, you, you can just hear it coming across. Even as you read it, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not even lift up so much as his eyes into heaven. But the Bible says he smote upon his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The scripture says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humble himself shall be exalted. The way up is down. Amen. I know that breaks every law in our minds, but it is so true that here is a man that just can't get through singing his praises enough. You ever met those people? I mean, if you don't know how good they are, just hang around. They'll tell you how wonderful they are, how marvelous they are. And here's a man that could even lift his eyes up to heaven, not some pretentious or false sense of humility, not trying to be a martyr, but, but he said, I, I, just be merciful to me. Just I'm a sinner. I have nothing to put on the table here. Amen. And so here's a powerful principle I think that we can ill afford to miss in Luke's writings. I want to stay humble in the sight of God. And I, I mean that. I want to stay humble in the sight of God. Paul, 
was not a perfect man. However, I have no reason to question his motives whatsoever. We certainly cannot accuse the Apostle Paul of being prideful. We can't accuse him of being hypocritical. So why didn't God answer Paul's prayers and remove the thorn in the flesh? We know that God loved Paul. We know that emphatically. He's the road to Damascus, what a grand experience that the Apostle Paul had. He was not raised in this. He was not there on the day of Pentecost. He was not there when a lot of the signs, miracles, and wonders happened that gave birth to the New Testament church. That's right. But Paul had such a deep revelation on the road to Damascus about the revelation of who Jesus was. Paul said, if, if I or any other or even an angel comes and preaches any other gospel, let him be accursed. Now, that's a powerful statement because he wasn't four generations into this thing. That must have been some powerful experience on the road to Damascus. Wouldn't you agree? Because he walked away from that saying, this is it, this is it. So we know that God loved Paul enough to save him from the world that he was living in and, and to place him into the very church that he persecuted. So I, I don't think that it's, that it's ever been called to question whether or not the Lord loved him. So why then did not God give him what he asked for? I think in this instance, and I'm not suggesting that in every instance there is something we can trace out and put our finger on, but I, I believe that in this instance God was offering a solution. He said, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to give you something better than the thorn. I'm not going to remove the thorn, but I'm going to, I'm going to give you something that will outshine the thorn, and that is my grace. Amen. <laughs> So I'm going to give you grace. And grace will cause you to realize that I'm, I'm not, heaven is not brass. I'm not silent. But I'm going to tell you this. My grace is sufficient for thee. And never again do we ever read of this ever becoming another subject of discussion. My grace is sufficient. Paul said, well, then uh, he said, I, I, I therefore... I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Amen. Now that's, that's a pretty heavy material that he's laying on us because this is all happening succinctly. He said, I, I said, but he said unto me, my grace is sufficient. Most gladly, therefore, I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I, I will say this to you and, and you, you write this down, tuck it away, put it in the deepest crevice of your heart or mind, but never discount this. When you see somebody that is mightily used of God, it comes with a price. And I know many times we can look, sit back and look at people from a distance and think, oh, just to be in their world. You may not think that if you understood their world. And so Paul, if, if we did not know the distresses of Paul's life, if we did not know the battles, if we did not know the beatings and the scourgings and the imprisonment and the Perils. If we didn't know that, who would not want, have wanted to have been the Apostle Paul? I mean, when somebody thinks about the New Testament and the, one of the greatest contributors, of course, to the New Testament was the Apostle Paul. And here's this man whose name is just recognizable around the world even today to this very day. But when you start 
peeling back the layers of all of that, you realize that underneath there, this all came with a very, very hefty price tag. I remember several years ago, probably more than 20 years, I'm sure more than 20 years, probably closer to 25 years ago, my wife and I and some friends were in a mall. We were just walking through. We walked into a men's store. I don't know if you remember this or not. We walked into a, a men's store, and, and so one of the friends that we were with, he he had put on a jacket, and man, I mean, it really looked it really looked nice. And so he's he's kind of <laughs> looking at himself, and he's really thinking of how nice this would be. And and all of a sudden, he flips around the price tag. I'm 25 years ago. The price tag of that suit was 700 something dollars, and I remember him just it was almost like he stepped out from under the jacket. <laughs> Do you remember that? Just, just, just another flash, and he would have been like the little cartoon character. He would have just been gone, and the jacket would have just crumbled to the ground. <laughs> it's nice, but it comes with a price. And so you never know until you fumble around and figure out just what kind of price someone has paid. Well, I've taken too long this little session, but let me, I, I won't take as much time, but let's look at another aspect of prayer. I'll try not to take as much time. Daniel 4, 18. The Bible says, This dream I, Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now thou, O Belshazzar, declare the interpretation thereof for as much as all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known unto me the interpretation, but thou art able. This is what the king said. Thou art able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in thee. So if you had a pressing situation, and we have them, who is it that would be at the top of your list or among the top of your list of people that you would call for prayer? We would certainly want somebody that we feel like would take our circumstances serious. I said this to someone recently that if we're not careful, the term I'll pray for you can just be a conversation ender because we don't know of any other way to you know, kind of put a period in the sentence so we just say I'm praying for you. But we need to be very, very careful when we say we're praying for someone and then we not do that. Amen. And, and have I ever done that? Yes. Sure. Now, are you going to let me grovel in my circumstances here? Or are you going to, is somebody going to say, me too? You're not alone. I, I mean, I've, had, I've caught myself and said, Lord, I'm, I am so sorry. I, I, I didn't do justice to this. And, and I want to live with that awareness that if you say you're going to pray about something, you pray about that. Amen. We need to, uh, you know, I, I think we would all agree that prayer requests certainly come with different levels of concern. Now, now just stay with me here. It, it, they're all important, but sometimes people will ask you to pray about something, and really and truly, just kind of using a lot of church vernacular right here, sometimes they just want to share something with you, right? And, and they wouldn't mind if you helped them pray about it, but more or less, they're just kind of, you're a sounding board, and they uh, you know, they're not saying I just want to bounce something off of you here. I want your opinion about something, but 
the overtone of the conversation is, I just want to share something with you, and if you will, pray with me about it. But, you know, they're not laying down at night with gritted teeth and clenched fists saying, I hope they remember to pray. It's more or less they're just sharing. So prayer requests do come with different levels of concern, but sometimes people come to you with a heartfelt need. A totally different atmosphere, a totally different overtone. And so the real question that begs an answer is this. Are we the kind of person that somebody would turn to for prayer in an hour of need? That's the real question. Because certainly in this illustration that I'm using now, Daniel was that kind of man. He was that kind of man. King Nebuchadnezzar's dreams had plagued him to the point that his advisors could not help him. His counselors could not help him. No one could help him. And so they turned to Daniel. And the Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar turned to Daniel because, the last line of that verse that was on the screen, because of the spirit of the holy gods that was in him. King Nebuchadnezzar recognized the spirit of God in him. <laughs> Amen. I pray that the, that the people of this world would recognize the spirit of God within us. Not because we've got a, a 15 pound cross around our neck or a family Bible under our arm, but because of the God that is in us. The God that is in us. And so when you're looking for prayer, we want, we want, to, we want to turn that circumstance over to somebody that we know will seek God with all their heart. That they'll take that to prayer, that they'll take that very seriously. We're not going to seek out someone that's unrighteous, certainly to pray about some need that we have. If we have a pressing need, I can assure you that I want to find the person that I think is going to take this serious, and they're going to make this a matter of prayer, real prayer, heartfelt prayer. They're not just going to shake my hand, pat my head, and, and try to soothe me and pretend everything's going to be all right, but they're going to pray with me. The Bible says this. David gives some pretty keen insight to the subject of righteous people. Think about this. In Psalms 34 and 15, the Bible says, The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. <laughs> I want a righteous man praying. Because I know that the eyes of the Lord are on them, and his ears are open to that man. And so I want to find someone that is righteous I've quoted James 5 and 16 every night that we've been talking about this, but the scripture says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And so in our times of desperation, I want to seek out somebody that I deem to be a righteous person that will take this matter to God in prayer. John 15 and 7, the Bible says, If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done to you. So, if there's one scripture that seems to be the centerpiece of prayer from all the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, I certainly think it would be 2 Corinthians 7, 14. The scripture says, If my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. And so there's the centerpiece of prayer. God is just saying, If my people will do what's right, if they will humble themselves and seek my face, if they will turn from their wicked ways, if they'll just seek me, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. I think we can safely say that this passage of Scripture describes Daniel to a T. As a matter of fact, I think this, this 
particular passage describes several people to a T. And I'm not just talking about Bible characters either. I'm glad I've met people that measure up to men and women that are in this book. I hope you don't think that's too bold of a statement, but I believe I've, I've been in the presence of men that were just as godly as any man or woman that's recorded in this book. And if the Bible were rewritten, if the Bible were rewritten for whatever reason, we would recognize, don't ever doubt that we wouldn't recognize some names. And you would say, you know what? I met them in a camp meeting one time. You know what? They live right down the road from me. You know what? They attended our church. I sat just across the aisle. Or I shared the same pew with them all of these years. Hallelujah. Amen. So I, 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 my prayer, my prayer is that we can find ourselves in that lineup. Amen. That's not too much to ask for, is it? I hope you don't think that's too forward, but I'm reaching for that. I'm certainly striving to, I'm not trying to be an unrighteous person. I can tell you that. That's not my daily agenda. My daily agenda is, Lord, help me to be what you've called me to be. Stumble and fall, yes. Miss the mark, absolutely. Amen. But what do you do when you miss the mark? You get up and brush yourself off and say, well, that didn't work, but I'm going to move and try again. <laughs> Hallelujah. I want to be everything that, that you want me to be. I, 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 I know I say it often, but I'm going to tell you, I live with this. I, I absolutely live with this every day that was said that when, when you, the last thing you'd want to do is get to heaven. I, I know it's just a hypothetical illustration, but it nevertheless has jarred me to the core. But the last thing I'd ever want to do is get to heaven and be stood beside the person that I could have been. And I want to live with that every day, not, not in the sense of a guilt trip, but I want to live with that every day in the sense of something to push me and drive me to be like him. I understand, as I mentioned a moment ago, that all of that comes with a price tag. You can wear anything you want to wear. You can drive anything you want to drive. You can live in anything you want to live in if you're willing to pay the price. Amen. <laughs> Got eerily quiet, didn't it? On the surface, I think most of us would admit that we want to be more prayerful, right? Daniel was a man of prayer, so let's take a deeper look into his life and see what we find. We know from Scripture that nothing could detour him from his daily appointment with prayer three times a day. He opened the window toward Jerusalem and he prayed. However, the king was convinced to pass a degree through jealousy it was a sinister move. And so the king was convinced to pass a degree that no one could pray to anyone but the king himself because they knew about Daniel's prayer life. And so it was not about praying to the king. They were trying to get to Daniel. And so the Bible says in Daniel 6 and 7, all the presidents of the kingdom, the governors, the princes, the counselors, the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for 30 days, save thee, talking to the king, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. And the king agreed to this, but Daniel didn't. It may have passed parliament, but Daniel didn't vote. It may have passed Congress, but Daniel said, no, no, no not, not me, not me. Now Daniel, the Bible says in verse 10, when he knew that the writing was signed, he didn't do this in ignorance, went into his house and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled down upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. And I think this is the key. 
as he did aforetime. This was not Daniel saying, what? We can't pray anymore. Well, I'll show them. And God hadn't heard from him in years. He's just on a bandwagon. I think what validates all of this is those last five words, as he did aforetime. Amen. Those last four words, as he did aforetime. And so I'm going to do what I've always done. I prayed yesterday, and I'm going to be praying tomorrow, and I'm going to be praying the day after that. Then these men assembled, not by accident, I might add, and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Then they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decree. You know, they're all playing all dumb. Doesn't this sound like the enemy? Hast thou not signed a decree that, every, a decree that every man that shall ask a petition of any god or man within 30 days save thee, O king, shall be cast in the den of lions? king answered and said, The thing is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. The king said, Yes, the decree stands according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, and this cannot be repealed. This is in writing, and it cannot be changed. So this is the law for the next 30 days. And in verse 13, Then answered they and said before the king that Daniel, which is of the children of captivity of Judah, regardeth not thee, O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed, but maketh his petition three times a day. Daniel won't stop praying even under the threat of his own welfare. This is how intent, as he did always, as he did aforetime, Amen. As our musicians come, these men caught him in the very act of praying and they forced the king's hand. Why would Daniel pray even when it would mean that he could lose his life? I suppose there are multiple answers, but I, I think maybe the root at the root of this is that prayer is not about the person praying. But prayer is about the kingdom. And if we can ever move beyond the person praying and realize that there is a kingdom. Amen. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. We don't pray so our life will be easier or better or enriched necessarily. We pray because we are compelled to reach through our prayers to the throne of God and therefore impact the world. You know, not long ago, a few years ago, we heard the phrase a whole lot, it seems like in the Christendom, about being world changers. And the, very, the, very, the very thought of being a world changer just causes most people to just crumble under the weight of such a thought. How could I be a world changer? But you see, we really can impact the world. We affect the world, of course, as it has been mentioned many times by the support of many endeavors that we do via ministries, but how we really impact the world is through prayer. So how can you be a world changer? Become a prayer warrior. Amen. We pray because we're compelled to do that. <clears throat> I want to make a difference in the world. The scripture doesn't record the content of Daniel's prayer. The only thing the Bible says is he prayed three times a day. But I'm pretty sure that if, just ride along with me, but I'm pretty sure that if we knew that if we get caught praying that we're going to be thrown in the lines then and we're praying that next day, I think somewhere in that prayer we'd be praying for the Lord to deliver us, right? 
<laughs> that seems fair. Our tendency when faced with difficult situations is sometimes to ask God just to remove it, just take this away. But we may need to just ask God rather for strength to come out of it victoriously. A person that <clears throat> others depend on to pray often have important things to pray about. And such was the case with Daniel. I realize it's a very fascinating story and it's a story filled with a lot of drama and we hear about it. If you were raised in church, I grew up hearing about Daniel in the lion's den. And so, but there's one thing that has always been so challenging, me about, challenging to me spiritually about this story and that was found in the 20th verse of Daniel 6. When that is the record of the king coming out the next morning because the king knew if Daniel's faith was wavering, I can promise you one man's faith that was not wavering, and that was the king. And when he had come to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel, and the king spake and said unto Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions? A resounding yes. A resounding yes. Why don't we stand? Miraculously, the Lord had delivered him. Without a doubt, God had shut the lion's mouth. However, there's one thing that we cannot discount in this story. And that is that even though God did answer Daniel's prayer, and even though he did shut up the lion's mouth, hear me now, there's one thing that we can't miss in this story. Daniel did spend the night with the lions. He really did. Within arm's reach perhaps, of the very thing that could have taken him out. It wasn't like they got right to the door of the den and said, oh, I was just seeing if you'd flinch. I was seeing if you'd blink. He really did spend the night in the lion's den. So what are you saying? I'm saying that sometimes, even though we're spared from the ultimate destruction of things, we're going to feel an intense amount of pressure from those things. The stress that can come into our lives from circumstances that just seemingly we're just pushed into. So to wrap all of this up in a bundle and call it an evening, what happens when God's people pray? Sometimes, like God said to the Apostle Paul, I'm not going to deliver you. I'm just going to give you something greater. I'm not denying there's a thorn I'm not denying there's something in your life to deal with. But I'm going to give you grace that is sufficient. I'm going to give you something more over here. So Paul walks away and says, you know what? Sounds fair to me. Sounds fair to me. Amen. Then sometimes the Lord says, you're going to have to go to the lion's den. But just know this, I'm going to walk there with you. Amen. What happens when God's people pray? <laughs> His eyes of covenant are watching over us. I feel such a beautiful spirit of the Lord here. Praise God. Praise God. Why don't we just entertain the Lord? Can you just do that right now? Let's just thank Him for His power and His presence. I love you today, Jesus. I love you today. When the church prays, we are not some muted stone. We're not some statue that's turned to the corner. 
when the church prays, when the church prays, when God's people get serious, and when we come before Him with a heart of humility, a heart of surrender, God hears our prayer. Yes, He does. Yes, He does. Yes, He does. Would you make an altar right where you stand? I'm telling you tonight that you may think God has turned a deaf ear or that it's too late for you or your situation, your circumstance. You're just beyond the realm of reach. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.